Thank you, Rob and Anne and Ruth. Let us pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us through the Holy Spirit, throughout the world, throughout the church, throughout the world, throughout these 2,000 years that we've been waiting. Today, as we hear your word, would you open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today? Would you empower us to obey and follow and to have hope? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to Hinsdale Covenant Church. I'm Pastor Joy, if we haven't met, and I like Christmas time because I can wear a jewelry name tag. So today is the third Sunday of Advent, the season of waiting and anticipating Jesus' return. I'm supposed to be using this one here. There we go, Caleb. So the church, ever since Jesus' ascension to the heavenly realm over 2,000 years ago, has been expecting his promised return. And that's what we focus on during Advent. And this season, we have been learning and focusing on the description of Jesus in the Colossians Christ hymn in chapter 1. We've been reading it together every Sunday, and on the surface, sometimes it can kind of seem a a bit tangled. It's only two sentences long in Greek, and Pastor Simon, for the last two Sundays, has started to untangle it a bit, first exploring how the hymn describes Jesus as the source of life. Jesus is the beginning. All stories, Pastor Simon said, all stories, individual stories and cosmic stories begin with Jesus. Last week, we explored how Jesus holds all things together. So even when your life feels like it's crumbling apart, Jesus is the one holding it together, and that is such good news. And this week, we're looking at the theme of unity, How in Christ, we as people from different backgrounds and different families, from different tribes and nations, are united into the church, the body of Christ. Christ unifies us. So with this theme in mind, I invite you to stand together and we're going to read the text aloud from the screen. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross. And this is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. 
So we see and hear in this hymn how Christ is our unifier, and it's woven throughout. We see these themes of unity throughout the hymn. All things have the same source, Jesus. This is unifying. He's holding it all together. This is unifying. He is the head of the church. This is unifying. He has first place. This is unifying. And when we, as followers of Jesus, believe this and prioritize this, we can be unified in him. But truthfully, it really seems like unity is rather aspirational these days. You know what I mean? I mean, especially when we're surrounded by headlines like fights break out after school board votes in favor of mask mandates or siblings fighting, spouses at odds, how to fix relationships damaged by COVID, or books like this one. Divided We Fall, America's Secession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation. I mean, there is division, right? In households, in neighborhoods, in cities, school boards, states, nations, and the church. This summer, the United Methodist Church, a church with over 12 million members, announced that it was going to be splitting. But this affects us personally, too, right? Individually. One of my friends, a psychologist, told me that he has encountered more people struggling with mental health challenges because of the growing polarization in our society. And so when people are alienated from their friends or family who previously had provided social support, their resilience and well-being decline. This is bad for us. I know many of us are grieved by this. Some might just be kind of plain mad. Maybe we can be united in agreeing that we are a divided people. We could start there. But I really don't think that standing around and singing kumbaya is going to work. This is posturing, and we know it. The divisions are deep. Maybe this is an unprecedented time, like we've been hearing for a year and a half. But I've told you this before. I don't really think that's true. Humanity at the core has not changed. And because of that, we don't live in unprecedented times. We just have access to unprecedented technology. So we know more and more about what's going on in the world, and we can read and react, sin, more quickly than ever. But human nature at its core has not changed. The sin that caused division between Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel is not new. It's not new in the human story, because this is exactly what sin does. It destroys, it unravels, it unknits, it causes chaos. In fact, the whole unholy trinity of sin, of wickedness, which is sin, the flesh, and the devil, seek to divide and conquer. Infighting and disagreements are par for the course for sinful humanity. This is not good, but we do have to stop being surprised because nothing is new under the sun. This is not unprecedented. Because we even see this type of division in the book of Colossians, not in the Christ hymn, but later on. 
And I want us to look at this. So we're going to skip ahead a bit to chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And I'll read this to you. But now, you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and is in all. So there must have been some infighting in Colossae 2,000 years ago. I mean, something had to have been going on for Paul to talk to the church in such a way, right? He's saying, stop it. Throw this garbage out. Get rid of such things. And here's the list of garbage. We heard it. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. All things we say and feel. Anger, wrath, malice, abusive language. Do you recognize this? Is this familiar to us? Nothing is new under the sun. I mean, and obviously people were lying too, since Paul says very clearly, do not lie to one another. So there's discord, there's disunity, there's chaos. Words are being used like little daggers, and I'm guessing people are rolling their eyes in disgust. But why? Why did this division exist in this little church? What was causing it? Well, we have to remember how countercultural the early church was. So this little church in Colossae, like the early church throughout the Mediterranean world, was very, very diverse. We get a snapshot in this text, right? There's first Greeks and Jews. They do not like each other very much historically. When the Greeks took over Jerusalem during the Hasmonean dynasty, they sacrificed a pig on the altar of the Jewish temple, and they set a statue of Zeus in the temple to Yahweh. This was greatly offensive, and it makes sense why, to the Jewish people. And it sets up this ongoing animosity between the two groups. And then there's the barbarians and Scythians. And and barbarian was a word used for people who are very far away, who speak gibberish, and who you don't understand. It's not pejorative, but it's certainly not kind. It's for people who are outsiders. And And then the Scythians... Those are like barbarians to the extreme, maybe even a type of slave from the north of the Black Sea. And then there was the obvious divides that Pastor Lars explained in November between slave and free. And it's likely that some members of this church were owners of slaves. That's awkward. So this diversity in the church defies the principle of homogeneity which is the principle that we've maybe learned about in school, right? How people like to hang out with people like them. People in the same generation, in the same political party, in the same neighborhood with the same interests. Because this is really comfortable, you know? 
But in the church of Colossae, people who didn't usually gather together were now gathering around Jesus as God. People of different races, different ancestral religions, different classes. And they, they had nothing in common with each other except maybe their language and that they worshiped Jesus. That was all. But this diversity brings with it a set, a new set of challenges. These differences, as biblical scholar N.T. Wright notes, provide the best soil for that mutual suspicion and distrust which turn into the vices listed, right? Anger, math, slander, etc. So let me say this again. Human difference, natural human differences, provide a breeding ground for distrust. And this suspicion and distrust can easily be manipulated by the enemy to turn it into anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language. And this is the very thing that Paul wants them to throw out. Diversity is great, right? But because of the nature of human nature and sin, as we talked about earlier, these differences lead to suspicion and distrust, which turn into the vices and probably some eye-rolling. But, Paul says to the church, in your new life in Christ, Church of Colossae, you have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, no longer circumcised and uncircumcised, no longer barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and is in all. He's saying, all y'all have a new self, and this self looks like Jesus. This self looks like Jesus because you are being transformed into the image of Christ, and all you different people are starting to look the same, homogeneity. Paul's saying, your divisions, they don't matter under Christ. They are so small under Christ. Now, it's important to note that he's not saying that ethnicity doesn't exist, right? This is really important. God created humanity with different ethnicities, and this part of being human is so good that Scripture teaches that in the new heavens and the new earth, people of all tribes and tongues and nations will worship Jesus. Ethnic diversity is good and it is forever, but none of our differences, whether they're temporal, like slave and free, or eternal, like Jew and Greek, should divide us from one another. Because our differences don't matter like we like to think they do. Yeah, they're big sometimes, but Christ is bigger. Christ is all and is in all. And this is the great mystery that Paul has already talked about, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are not unified by who we are, but we're united by who Christ is, and that Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. So imagine Paul looking around at the church, 
The difference is between the people, and he's saying, Christ is in you, Greek person. He's in you, Jewish person. He's in you, circumcised and uncircumcised. He's in that barbarian who you can't really understand. He's in that Scythian slave over there who seems like she's from a different planet. Christ is in the free person. He's in the slave. Christ is all and is in all. So stop looking around suspiciously at everyone and start trusting Christ. Christ is here. Christ is in us. I think we need to hear this today. Now, I would say that we are separated by different things now. Ideology and worldview primarily, right? But we hear this language, red states and blue states, utilitarians and libertarians, conservatives and progressives, those who wear masks and those who don't. These separate us. And our unprecedented technology access does not help with these divisions. Because we are all going to have some first natural differences, right? Ethnicity, economic background, sex, and we're going to have some association differences too. I mean, some of us are more politically conservative or politically progressive, but emphasizing these political differences as central to our identity is neither beneficial nor good because no single party or ideology encompasses the full way of Christ's kingdom. All of them have something in them that's wrong. But when we emphasize these things as identifiers, we are doing, as they say, putting the wrong emphasis on a syllable, right? We're emphasizing the wrong thing because we will not find unity in these things. We will not find unity as a people in ideology or political perspective. We can only find it in a person, Because when we try to find unity in our ideological differences, it's sort of like, now we're going to get to the tangled lights, having a giant ball of all different colors of light strands together, and the way you untangle it is each person takes their favorite color and pulls. You've probably never done this. I'm imagining that we're all too smart to think this is a good way to untangle something. But that's what it's like. It's never going to get untangled. You're just going to get mad at each other. We need help. We can't do it by ourselves. But thankfully, the church is much more than a tangle of electrical cords. Scripture tells us that we are a living organism with a head. And this is why Paul writes, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Jesus, Jesus is first not our preferred political preference, not our identity that separates us from others. Jesus is first. And if you put Jesus first and I put Jesus first and we are all in Christ, we can truly be unified. And this unity is crucial to the mission of God. Paul wants the Colossians to be unified because this is the way the church actually images Christ. And also, it's impossible to do God's work, to proclaim good news, to do good work in our daily vocations, if we're fighting among ourselves. When we fight among ourselves, we are doing exactly what the enemy wants us to do. A house divided against itself can't stand. Unity is central to our witness as the people of God. 
And we need to hear this. So I spent some time this week imagining what Paul would say to us here today, 2,000 years later. Hey, you, there in the corner of 4th and Garfield, throw out that animosity. Stop looking at your differences. Yeah, they seem big, but Jesus is bigger because Christ is all and is in all. So Christ is in you, Republican. Christ is in you, Democrat. Christ is in you, conservative. Christ is in you, progressive. Christ is in you, black people. Christ is in you, white people. Christ is in you, children. Christ is in you, seniors. Christ is in you, boomers. Christ is in you, millennials. Christ is in you, physician. Christ is in you, financial analyst. Christ is in you, person with a high school diploma. Christ is in you, PhD holder. Christ is in you, Hinsdale mom. Christ is in you, Westmont mom. Christ is in you, friend with a green card. Christ is in you, American citizen. Christ is in you, veteran. Christ is in you, pacifist. These differences may seem big to us, but Christ, who is bigger than all these things, is in all of us. Christ is in us. Christ is all and is in all. Which brings us back to the Christ hymn. I'm going to read to you Eugene Peterson's translation from the message. And this is what he says. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Eugene Peterson gives us some really great images to remember and imagine what unity in Christ looks like. So first, fit together in vibrant harmonies. When we're divided internally, but still together, it's sort of like we are all playing the same song in the same rhythm, but in different keys. Like if I sing in the key of A, and then a friend over here sings in E flat, and then another friend sings in, I don't know, G major. Those were both two keys, right? It doesn't sound good. We don't want to do it. Through Jesus, we can be fit together and sing together in, in vibrant, in vibrant harmony. But when Jesus is first, and we put Jesus first, we're like an orchestra where Jesus stands and plays the A, and we all tune to it. And then we play in the key that Jesus invites us to play in, not the key we choose. Because Jesus is the beginning. He starts it all. He plays the first key. So tune to him. Be properly fixed to Jesus so that we might be in tune together, 
properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. The other metaphor. So Peterson notes how Jesus leads the resurrection parade, the firstborn of the dead. Um, if you've ever seen, or I, I'm just super curious, have any of you been in marching band? <laughs> any band nerds out there? Okay, so you know, and, and ask someone, it, or just watch a band and you'll see, right? So if you've ever been a part of or seen a marching band, you know what I'm talking about, because in the front, there's the drum major marching backwards often with her mace, moving it up and down to keep the band in rhythm, and the drum major is at the front, and everyone follows her. You don't follow the musician beside you. You don't follow the musician in front of you, because if everybody does that, you will not be together. You follow the drum major up front. Jesus is that drum major leading the resurrection parade. We will not stay together long without that drum major. We need him. Jesus plays the first key, and we tune to him. Jesus is the drum major, and we follow him. Jesus is the head of the church, and each of us, as part of the body, moving in response to that control center, Jesus, the head. We can't unify ourselves. Earlier on, I talked about how this concept of unity in Christ can kind of sound aspirational, like pie in the sky, too good to be true. Oh, that's nice, but it's not going to happen, right? I actually want to tell you that it is happening, and this can give us hope. So you as a congregation hear from me and Pastor Lars and Pastor Simon on a regular basis. You hear three different voices from this pulpit or the chancel. <laughs> um, but you've noticed we're three different people. We have some things in common. I will say we are all ordained in the ECC. We are all parents, and we are all Gen Xers in the same generation. And sometimes, even, our outfits coordinate a little bit. If you've ever noticed, that's on accident. But there is a lot of differences. We see things very differently. We have different backgrounds and experiences. In the seminaries where we were formed in for ministry, they are very different from each other. And because the three of us know each other well and are friends, we're aware of these differences. But sometimes, I have to tell you, I have this thought, this is a weird combination. How is this working? And this is how it's working. It's because we're united in Christ. Because let me tell you about Lars, my friend. Lars is made by God. He is a creature. He is not perfect, but Christ is in him. And let me tell you about my brother Simon. Simon also a creature made by God, not perfect, but Christ is in him. And let me tell you about me. I'm also a creature made by God, far from perfect. But I trust God's work in my own life. And Christ is in me. And through Christ, we're unified. Maybe not on some small things, but you know what? That doesn't matter in the presence of the bigness of Jesus. Because we listen to the key that Jesus gives us, and together we sing in it. Together, we watch Jesus leading the resurrection parade, and we follow, keeping in step with him. And this is the Holy Spirit at work. The principle of homogeneity would keep us from working together in other contexts, I think. But the reality of Christ as the head of the body, the church, unifies us and keeps us together. And this is not our work. It's God's. Because we cannot unify ourselves 
We have a whole history of humanity to prove it. Nations have risen and fallen. Ideologies have grasped imaginations and left discord and disappointment in their wake. And as ideologies, my friend, become more and more polarized here in the United States and throughout the world, I do want to caution you. Ideologies, whether they're ones I named or didn't name, are not the image of the invisible God. They didn't create you. They are not there before all things, and they certainly don't hold all things together. They, won't, they aren't first, and they won't be last. Ideologies don't love you. Do not allow an ideology to invade your heart. Do not give it property on your social media presence or your bumper or your yard. Don't wear it on a shirt next to your heart or a hat next to your mind. Because one day, and this is the day we're anticipating in Advent, One day, at the final judgment, that's what we call it, your reckoning will not be with an idea or an ideal. It will be with the person of Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, the firstborn of creation, the head of the church, the only God, the first and last, who holds all things together, and his kingdom will have no end. I tell you this so that you will have hope. Hope in Christ's unifying power this Advent. Listen to the key Jesus is calling you to sing in. Watch Jesus, our drum major. Keep your eyes on Christ. Do not follow the person next to you or in front of you. Look up. Because only when we're centered on the same person, Christ, will we be unified. I want us to spend this time together at the end in prayer. Prayer for unity here and throughout the world, in Christ, and in confession for when we have made ideas idolatry. So let us pray together on the screen. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today with confession and hope. We confess that we have allowed our differences to sow suspicion and distrust. We have allowed our ideologies to guide us. We confess that our ideologies have sometimes become idolatry. Free us. Forgive us. Let's continue. We pray for unity of the body of Christ, the church. Give us ears to hear the key Christ wants us to sing in. Give us eyes to see Christ leading the resurrection parade. And give us strength to keep in step with your spirit. And may our unity be a proclamation of your character, your hope, your love, your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue in worship.